So, Annie, I thought maybe we could do the theme song this time like uh, like uh, like a country song. Sure. Okay. You, wanted, you go ahead. I'll follow. Okay. Yeah. Chapter by chapter, line by line, line. Listen, listen to our show and have a real good time with your pal Annie and Derek too. Chapter, chapter by chapter, line by line, we'll read along with you. We'll read along with you. Fun. That was fun. Yes, thank you for that. Yeah, we need to change it up. I think. Yeah, uh, there's so many different options. We could do like uh, we could do it metal. We could do it punk. We could do it baroque. We I think eventually we got oh baroque. Absolutely, that's such a good idea. Yeah, yeah. I think we we need to do like the sort of throaty back of the throat singing, so it sounds like a harpsichord. I think that a lot of people will say of our theme song though, if it isn't baroque, don't fix it. Har har har. Bye everyone. Goodbye. That's it. That's it for today. That's, We're done. No, that's the no, pod. No, no Northanger Abbey for you. Okay. No. Uh. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to do the Vaporwave theme song. That we're, well, we'll have to like do it like it's an 80s pop song and then remix it and make it really slow. With with synths. With synths, exactly. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes. I need a I need a new romantic version of that song. Yeah. Well, you know a bunch of music people, though, Annie. I do. Yeah. Maybe they could help us out with the... Uh, you know, yeah. they wanted to come in. They wanted to come in, play piano. I don't know if we want to hear their thoughts on Jane Austen. It's, oh, I, now I definitely do. Yeah. 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 So uh, what the what the hell is this podcast, Annie? Well, this is uh, this podcast is chapter by chapter where we read uh, one work of classical literature, one chapter at a time, uh, one chapter per episode. And now we're doing uh, Jane Austen's uh, great satire, Northanger Abbey, and we are up to chapter five. Exactly. This is the world's slowest book club. But let's be honest, this is still a lot faster than a lot of you freaking idiots will ever get to reading these books anyway yeah you probably read one book a year and that book is uh is probably uh 50 shades of gray or like a bill bryson you know like uh like or um maybe you re- read murray kondo's new thing and you 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 really just skimmed it because you wanted to be in and on the buzz you, you don't need to read murray kondo you just you read the chapter on how you should fold your underwear in little squares facing up so that you can see all your underwear at the same time and think to yourself i my life is good because i am rich in underwear yeah which to be honest i do and i enjoy it's delightful it's an absolute delight and when the uh, proletariat overthrows uh us all and they see how much underwear i have they as as i am being led to the stakes with the class trader hung around my neck, I will say I, I regret nothing. Well, in, in my uh, democratic, centralist, Marxist utopia, mm-hmm. I, my, uh, the, the, the government will demand that the entire Soviet fold their underwear into tiny squares. I think it's a direct quote from Rosa Luxemburg. Uh, if, my, uh, if your revolution does not involve folding lots of underwear into tiny squares, then I want no part of it. Yeah, exactly. Direct quote. Direct quote. Exactly. Rosa herself. Uh, what the hell who, are we who just is talking actually about? <laughs> Ro- Rosa Luxemburg? I I read in the in the graphic novel Rosa about Rosa Luxemburg, I and there's a writing that down. There is a great chapter on um on her in underwear. 
Is that right? And how she goes to Paris and discovers like underwear as opposed to like Victorian pantaloons and uh, crotchless pantaloons worn with a corset. And she's like, I'm free now. And her uh, her boyfriend is like, oh, I can feel all of your soft parts. Let's get busy. Good God. I want to read this graphic novel. It's it's excellent. I will lend it to you after the podcast. Very good. Uh, what the hell were we just talking about? Northanger Abbey. Oh, yeah, of course. Another uh, time, you know, Regency period England, another time of comfortable underwear. So this is the world's slowest podcast where uh, we uh, read one chapter at a time. Uh, we're up to chapter five. Uh, what has happened last time on Northanger Abbey? Catherine Moreland, gone to Bath. Bath! Find herself a husband, nobody was sad. She's meet, she and her, uh, her lame, basic bitch, hostess, uh, Mrs. Allen does not help her at all in meeting men. She knows she's pretty sad about that. She's going, hanging out in the assembly room, not having a lot of fun. Then she meets Mr. Tilney. Ooh. Uh, sexy, but uh, sexy, charming Arch Mr. Tilney, who's maybe we think probably also gay, but he can talk about ladies' muslins and so. He's cool. We he's like a, Mr. Tilney. He's a little too arch for his own good, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I think this is actually. I think I think Eric and I may differ mm-hmm. on, in our opinion about about Mr. Tilney. Uh, Eric would not go out with him. I might. I might sleep with him. Yeah. I don't know, but he's not a he's not a long term consideration because he reads. He's still way too into like the David Foster Wallace period in his life. Yeah, he's. Uh, we we uh, determined on previous episodes that Mr. Tilney is very much like uh, one of those Bazinga guys that you meet your freshman year of college. So you're just fresh off the farm and you're in college and you're away from your parents the first time. And there's a guy and he's like grown some kind of cool facial hair or cool to you because you haven't seen that before. And he can recite all of Monty Python or he's got this like. You know, uh, he seems to have a bunch of friends, and you just think he's the smartest motherfucker in the world. And it's only as, you know, uh, reflecting back on your first boyfriend, uh, you're pushing 30 right now, and you're reflecting back on your first boyfriend, and you think, wow, I can't believe I ever thought that guy was smart. I was so devoted to him, too. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much this guy, but at the same time, you know, when you are, uh, when, you, when you're a woman approaching 40, then you look back on that, on that boyfriend from when you were 20 and you think like, okay, you th- you think of that as an experience more of, of childhood than adulthood and you don't so much and you kind of understand and sympathize more with your motivations. No, there you go. Absolutely. Now, keep in mind, I was that guy. I was absolutely, or at least I very much tried to be. I, I walked around. I, uh, I ordered, whenever I went to a bar, I ordered a martini because I'd said, I'm going to be the martini guy. Yeah, I'm going to be really cool. I was that guy. I, I, if I, I could wish I could go back in time and give me just a huge wedgie, but oh. I, but I can't. Okay. So, uh, plan of action: invent time machine. Give twenty-year-old Eric wedgie. Come back in time. Do podcast on Northanger Abbey. Absolutely. Oh, uh, do podcast on Northanger Abbey. Like, like five years. Oh no, I've got an even better idea. I've got an even better idea. We okay. do uh, a, a snarky socialist podcast, like maybe two, three years before Chapo did it. Oh, before it was cool. Before it was cool, and then we get the hundred thousand dollars a month or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's the plan. Yeah, that's the plan. Um, so we 
next chapter, the last last episode, uh, Catherine Moreland is now uh, looking out, looking for Mr. Trilney. He's not in the pump room. He's not in the lower room. He's not in the upper rooms. He's not in any of the rooms. He's nowhere in Bath. But she gets to meet uh, Isabella Thorpe and her family. And Mrs. Allen, basic bitch friend Mrs. Allen, meets uh, Mrs. Thorpe, Isabella's... Uh, Isabella's mother and they can be basic bitches together and not listen to each other talk. I'm still a little like confused as to the layout of Bath. Where are these rooms? Is this just a common building? Yeah, it's a it's just like a like the town hall meeting place for rich people. And it's above but so do you have to is it like a country club like do you have to have a membership or can uh, any uh, uh ragamuffin or scallywag come in? Yeah, I don't really know. I actually had that question uh, a few episodes ago. How do you what 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 gets you admittance to the pump room? Because it's obviously you can only go and take the waters if you are genteel. What if I was like a street urchin, like a Regency era street urchin, and my face is a blackened with uh, soot, uh, and I've got you know my little my little pipe cleaner chimney sweep thing, and I've got my hat. And I sort of, and really bad teeth, and I skip over and go, please, sir, I, I want some, some, some mud water to cure my gout. Uh, I don't think you're getting your gout cured. I think they're giving you an actual kick in the rear end, and they're mm. saying, away with you, urchin. Oh, okay. Understood. Slime of the earth. Although gout is a rich man's disease. Oh, yeah, yeah. The little kid is not getting any gout. He He's... can't, af- he can't afford all those, those, those cakes and aspics and the rich cordials Ooh, rich cordials exactly i i actually like a rich cordial myself from time to time uh annie you have a very delicious rich cordial why thank you uh the uh that orange stuff or what was it that you oh right the uh my plum my 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 plum my plum liqueur he, annie has some you should everybody come over to annie's house she lives on Come on over to her house and uh, have some of her plum uh, cordial. You have the address. Actually, all, all this like bunch of Jews came over for for uh, for uh, an anti-fascist Shabbat a couple weeks ago and drank it all. Oh, so there's no more. Okay, never mind. Forget I forget her address. Forget I said anything. Uh, but if you did want to tell us more about uh, different kinds of delicious cordials or anything like that, please write in to chapterbychapter01 at gmail.com. There are no letters to us this week. I'm very sad that of our 13 listeners, no one could be bothered to write in about uh, uh, unpleasant parties they've been to and so forth. Uh, So, please write in. We could not get chapter by chapter, uh, so we had to go to 01. Uh, speaking of which, uh, so wait, who are all these characters? I, I kind of got confused. There's a, so they meet another family. They, they are, they, they meet the Thorpe family. They're their only, at first they had no acquaintance in Bath and Mrs. Allen was all like, oh, if only we had more acquaintance in Bath. And now she's like, oh, I'm so happy that we met the Thorpe family. And they hang out together now every day. Uh, Mrs. Allen and Mrs. Thorpe and, uh, Catherine Moreland and Isabella Thorpe, the, the, the young, uh, hip people, um, who are, you know, spend their young hip days walking arm in arm up and down the pump room. They, uh, they call them the mean girls. Yeah. They call Catherine and Isabella the mean girls because they're arm in arm and they're walking around the pump room and they're just, I don't know, they're talking about frivolities probably. 
they didn't actually specify what they were talking about. No, that well, they they do specify what they're talking about, but they don't. It's not. It's all written in exposition because you know Jane Austen's like you don't actually want to hear what they're talking about. They're all like yada da 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 boys yada da 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 lace yada da 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 gout. So they finally found some friends to walk around the pump room with. Uh, but what, uh, what, so the starting into chapter five, it, it opens up with a very crucial question. One that you and I and Annie and nay, all, all of our 13 listeners may, may be so curious about. They're sitting at the edge of their seats. They're on bated breath. They're champing at the bit or chomping at the bit. They're like horses frothing. There's froth coming out. I always felt really bad for horses that had bridles in their mouths. Yes. Because I, I, I would think. How uncomfortable is that? Oh, and they a- have the blinders and maybe a spur. You know what a spur is? It's like a a, a knife or like a, a sharp thing digging into their flank. I I was at I went to ranch camp as a middle school kid. Ranch and, camp. Ranch camp. And I had to uh, put the horse's bridle on my on my horse fudge every day. And you had a horse. I had a horse named Fudge. It was only for two weeks at ranch camp. Poor Fudge. Fudge was really old and sad, and I I loved him so, and now he's glue. He's, oh no. He could be the glue that binds together this very book. But I always felt bad when I had putting a bridle on him. Oh yeah, so poor Fudge. So I think Fudge is going to be a recurring character. Yeah, Fudge, and also Fudge had a girlfriend called Toffee. Oh, that's really cute. And and she was also really old, and she's also now glue. Yeah, but he uh, cheated on her with peanut butter. <laughs> a donkey named peanut butter. A donkey named peanut butter. Yeah, yeah but then, exactly. but then, and then they had a they had a fudge and peanut butter, fucked, and they had a they had a they gave and uh, and peanut butter gave birth to a mule named Reese's. Reese's. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. I laid it up for you, and you and, and you and you went out. straight oh, that, there. That baseball's flying straight over there. there. Well done. Well oh, yeah. done. Uh, so yeah, here's the question: Is what I was getting at is whatever happened to Mister Tilney? <gasps> he, it's as though he vanished into thin air. Uh, she, uh, Catherine Morland says, "Now that I have buds, like I want to show Mister Tilney, like I'm, you know, not just some uh, weird little girl. I'm a woman with friends." Uh, chapter five opens up with this very self-same question. Can I, uh, I'm going to read the first sentence of this chapter. We're going to cue the reverb effect. Here we go. Catherine was not so much engaged at the theater that evening in returning the nods and smiles of Miss Thorpe, though they certainly claimed much of her leisure as to forget to look with an inquiring eye for Mr. Tilney in every box which her eye could reach. But she looked in vain. Mr. Tilney was no fonder of the play than the pump room. She hoped to be more fortunate the next day, and when her wishes for fine weather were answered by seeing a beautiful morning, she hardly felt a doubt of it, for a fine Sunday in Bath empties every house of its inhabitants, and all the world appears on such an occasion to walk about and tell their acquaintance what a charming day it is. So I read this line... Because this kind of begins, I think it sets the tone for this chapter. And this chapter is confusing. Yeah. It's stylistically weird well, and kind good, of off. A good half of it is, I guess we'll get to it when we get to it. Yeah. 
Um, and I, I mean, you know, those sentences, I think this is, this is like a lot of this language is kind of the kind of thing that makes a, uh, a Jane Austen novel occasionally, uh, alienating to people who are not, who are, you know, Gen X millennials, whatever, who are not really used to this kind of language and who have to, you have to kind of read that first sentence a couple times to realize like even what it means. And then you kind of have to go back and realize what she's doing. And then you're like, oh, fuck, I'm in school. I'm going to, I'm going to go back on Twitter. I'm learning something. I had a chill up my spine at the thought of learning. At the thought of, at the very idea of learning, I run screaming from the room. Neri did the very notion of learning creep into my skull as a butterfly may flit into a walled garden through devices of its own knowing. Yeah. Neri did that happen lest a chill run down my spine as frigid as the very cold air of yeah so i i actually came up with a theory yes. when i was reading this for why jane austen writes in sentences like this from time to time and i think it's actually even though it's like you're reading you're like oh fuck god what just stop just what are you doing but i think it's actually for purposes of economy it's actually language oh, economy really? here yeah because if you she gets a lot done in one paragraph there's a lot of setup and a lot of like information huh. that she's kind of like shoveling into us all at once. And then, and then we're, we're reading these sentences. We're kind of, you know, we're following the plow cart across the yard, across the field. And we're like, what the fuck is what, what? And yes, okay, yes, okay, okay. Oh, yes, okay. And here's, and now here's the story. I kind of like it. I kind of like these sentences. I feel like yeah. they're, it's, uh, it's an abundance of wit and it feels good. It's like looking at, um, you know, one of those Rube Goldberg machines or a game of mousetrap. It's like, oh, every little piece of the sentence is sort of setting up for something. Yeah. And at the very end, there's going to be a trigger as to what the whole point of all of these different clauses means. And then boom. Oh, you were like. What a charming day it is. I tell their acquaintance what a charming day it is. Exactly. It's just like you get, you, you, finally you get there and you're like, oh shit. Okay. I, I understand. And then you feel good about yourself and you're like. And this is something that I, I feel like uh, modern uh, writers do not do at all, um, is that you want to, you, you, you get to the end of that paragraph and you want to like give Jane Austen a little, a little uh, standing ovation. Yeah. Like, oh, like, you kept me at the edge of my seat, man, but you, you did it. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, well done, maestro. Bra yes. Brava. Brava. Bra uh, golf clap. Yes, golf clap, Join golf me. clap. Very nice, very nice, very nice, yes. very nice lady, lady who wrote this book. Yes, a, yes. A lady, a lady. A lady. Please, a lady take a bow. A lady take a bow. I'm going to plug in some some polite applause into here. Yes. Okay. Good. And and I think like that, that's like that's how we're meant to like in this sort of language that like performative literature is like we are, you know, everyone now is an irony, bro. Everyone's like uh I don't know. I was looking in my wardrobe this morning and I'm like, everything I own is demure and I don't want to be a demure person anymore. I want to wear really, really bright and vulgar colors that I can go clubbing in. And you want to be bold and brashy. I want to be, I want to be bold and, and, uh, and brassy and everything in my closet is demure. And I feel like that way about like kind of a lot of like contemporary literature. It's also demure. It's also quiet. It's also whispering in the library. Um, which is a funny thing to think like Jane Austen is not that. Jane Austen is like punching at 
bricks and she wants us to, you know, see her 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 incredible skill. And she goes, interestingly, in this chapter, right from there. I mean, yeah, she's showing off. It to, really is. Yeah. She's totally showing off. So the reason why we bring this up is like half this chapter is just these little setup paragraphs. Where I, gosh, I wish I could. I wish I was good enough at improvisation that I could just like imitate a sentence like that just right off the top of my head. Like, you know, the point is that uh, uh, maybe the point is that Annie wants to not be demure anymore. So it's like, you know, demurity being what it is, it's less you go at it from the weirdest angle, like the concept of demurity itself or, or demureness or whatever, or like the idea of what people are in fashion for itself. And then you get around all these sort of twisty, windy angles, like all the different parts of what you're trying to say are being set up. And then boom, I don't want to wear this anymore. I'm Annie. I don't want to wear this anymore. I want to wear a vulgar color and go clubbing. Yeah, I think it's 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 exactly like that. And I think she's giving an example of the kind of like the, the beautiful sort of sentence. And you read this sort of sentence in like a you know, philosophy text, for instance, and obviously it's it's all about ideas and it's dry as dust because it doesn't produce any images in your brain. Whereas here we have characters, we have a setting, we have we have feelings and we have an entire world encapsulated like uh in like a like a medieval miniature in a single in a single paragraph. And that is something that is not available in any other art form. But you know where it is available? At your local library, Annie. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Come oh, yes. on in. Uh, get a library card today. Yeah. but right, Anyway, keep going. But it's not available in any other art form. And then later on in this chapter, she kind of goes into, like, how awesome the novel is. Like, a full-throated defense and... We'll, we'll, uh, we'll get to that. Yeah. We'll get to that. So, here's basically all that happens in the chapter. There is no Mr. Tilney. He is not to be found. It's as though he evaporated in a... a to, to quote the Shawshank Redemption, it's like he's a fart in the wind. Uh, he, uh, so what does she wind up doing? Well, she makes, she becomes best friends with, uh, with Isabella, uh, the hot daughter, not the three ugly daughters. No, she's, she's the hot daughter. Keep in mind that Isabella has three little sisters, each of whom are nondescript and ugly. However, we don't have to concern ourselves with them at the moment. All we have to concern ourselves with is that Catherine and Isabella, besties, and Mrs. They like to walk arm in arm. Which is something, do you walk arm in arm with with your friends? People used to apparently do that all the time. But I feel like, like, I my parents' generation, women friends would walk arm in arm. Men friends would do that. Yeah. There are lines in, like, Sherlock Holmes where it's like, yeah, I'm walking arm in yeah. arm with Watson. But even as recently as, like, the, the baby boomers. Really? Like, the baby boomers, when I walk down the street with, like, when I see my, you know, my mother and her friends walk down the street, they will often walk arm in arm. Yeah. And that's something that was totally lost in the last 40 years, I think. Uh, Mrs. Allen and uh, Mrs. Thorpe, the the two flibbity-gibbets, uh, we get a nice little dig at how flibbity-gibbet they are. By uh, They do, in fact, paraphrase what uh, they wind up talking about all the time because they don't actually have conversations with each other. They, wait, do we have a quote here? I have a quote. I have a quote. Um, Ooh, let's reverb. Re- yes. Reverb, reverb. Um uh, how glad I am we have met with Mrs. Thorpe, and she was eager in promoting the intercourse of the two families, as her young charge and Isabella themselves could be, never satisfied with the day unless she spent the chief of it by the side of Mrs. Thorpe, this is Mrs. Allen we're talking about, in what they called conversation, but in which there was scarcely ever any exchange of opinion, and not often any semblance of subject, for Mrs. Thorpe talked chiefly of her children, and Mrs. Allen of her gowns. Uh, I- 
I know I've had actually a bunch of conversations like that. I I've had I I have nothing but conversations with like that. But it's but I you know I was I it took me a minute to search for a sentence to read because I could not find a period. Jane Austen. Yeah. I could not find a period. It was just fucking semicolons as now, far as I could see. So now I'm starting to think you don't like these sentences. Well, I love that these, op- the opening these is brilliant. Clockwork sentences but like, that you were gushing about earlier suddenly are annoying. But like. For Mrs. Thought talk chiefly of her children and Mrs. Allen of her gowns, kathunk. Sorry, yeah. Jane, kathunk. No, you don't get it every time. I'm sorry, you're not perfect. I, you're almost perfect. I liked it. Don't don't tell Annie though. Eric likes it when the lady goes kathunk. That's all I want to say. <laughs> That's my favorite sex move. <laughs> Hey, baby. That's what I say at a bar. I'm like, hey, baby, let's do the old kathunk, kathunk. Wink. And they're mostly, con- they're too confused to be offended. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? I'm just going to step away quietly now. I get a Back sh- into the world of full stops, and I, not semicolons. I go to the bar, and I do suggestive, what I think are suggestive hand gestures, but are mostly just baffling. So I'm just like, hey, I want to go on back. And, and then I, like, I put my pinky and my ring finger through, like, uh... Like again, like I scrape it against my wrist, and I'm like, eh, yeah, how about that? How about that? Yeah, and it yeah. doesn't look like anything at all. And people are like, what the hell does that mean? That's how you get all the ladies. Yeah, kathunk. <laughs> <laughs> that's really weird. Yeah, that's a, that's really weird. Absolutely. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, maybe maybe save that for like the third date. Oh yeah, no, that's a, no. Oh no, that's how I get them hooked on the first date. Okay, is it is this a is this a fetish that I'm not I'm not aware of? This is actually Eric's pickup artist hour. Uh, this is our new segment. Please cue the wow 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 music. No, we're not we're not cueing the music. Okay, no, this is a bad idea. This is a bad segment. Okay, good. Sorry, our fake producer has told me that this is a bad idea. Let's move on. Okay, so um, so having read the kathunk. Uh, sentence. I want. I there. There is. There are a number of virtuoso sentences in this. In this whole paragraph. I still like the sentence, but keep going. And and I. I can. I would like to. I would like to read. Um. Read one of them. Um. So, Catherine Morland. Even though she's having fun with Isabella Thorpe, she's. She, they're chilling out. They're walking arm in arm up and down the pump room. Um. She's still on the lookout for. Uh, for Mr. Tilney, but he was nowhere to be met with. Every search for him was equally unsuccessful in morning lounges or evening assemblies, neither at the upper nor lower rooms. At dressed or undressed balls was he perceivable, nor among the walkers, the horsemen, or the curricle drivers of the morning. His name was not in the pump book, pump room book, and curiosity could do no more. He must be gone from Bath! I have a pump book. <laughs> is this are we are we back to your pickup artist segment your okay. your pump your pump book <laughs> okay, <I'm re-> <laughs> <laughs> it's uh uh it's not lady chatterley's lover as we have previously discussed that is not actually nearly a pornographic enough book oh not nearly yeah, yeah. not nearly enough there aren't nearly enough undressed balls in the in lady chatterley's I lover i did highlight that there were both balls both okay so this uh chapter mentioned we went to <laughs> balls both dressed and undressed and i said dear god <laughs> i would love to go to an undressed oh. ball <laughs> I, and I feel like, you know... Go to FetLife.com, register for an account, undressed, you'll find... Undressed balls. <laughs> undressed balls. 
I think this is this is our this is our new hashtag. Undress balls. Undress balls of bath. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, sorry, this is getting, I, I, I need to have a drink of wine. Let's have a drink of wine. Let's have a and, drink of wine. And move on. But we're going to, we're going to think, we're going to, we're going to picture in our heads our, our, uh, the best undressed balls that we've been to write into us Please. about undressed balls, any Please. undressed balls you've been to or that you want to invite us to. Any kathunk stories that you have, any undressed balls, write your steamiest fucking Regency stuff. Things that would make these Regency twerps go, goodness. But you know what, though? Regency period was a sexy period. It was. Those dresses. Yeah. yeah I the mean, they, they showed... The imperial waistline was like, goddamn. Yeah. And then later, here's what I read. Later, the uh, uh, artists painting, so like maybe 1860s, 1850s, dresses get a lot more conservative, right? And they get a lot more conservative, um, but like, Picture you know, like Mary the, Todd Lincoln. It's just ridiculous. The décolletage, though, I think throughout the 19th century remained the same. And thank God for that. But You know, and you showed, you could wear, like, a lot of American women would wear, like, a little bit of lace to be like, you know. Check out this décolletage. Uh, this is, I'm, my, my boobs are not, are not, are not on the table, but like, you know, French women in particular, but British and British women too. I think particularly like in society, aristocrats were like, here are my boobs. I remember uh, I was at an underest ball and I had a small glass of plum cordial and I tripped and it spilled down an elderly dowager's décolletage. And you can bet we went kathunk later. Right, right. I mean, how, in what party, dressed or undressed, that you have been to that you could possibly have have uh, spilled wine down an elderly dowager's décolletage. So the historical anecdote I was talking about was these artists in maybe 1860s, 1850s, they would paint pictures of their moms, basically. Like, not literally their moms, but the previous ge- women of the previous generation, like scenes from Napoleon. But they would have them anachronistically wearing contemporary dresses because they were so embarrassed by how slutty their moms were. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really so, funny. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, I mean, you look at pictures, it's like, oh, they shouldn't be wearing those dresses. They should be wearing, like, the imperial waistline and everything's kind of transparent, you know? And it's like, no, they're they, – they, these uh, artists could not bring themselves to paint their mothers like that. That's crazy. I yeah. had no idea. Anyway. Yeah. So, um, so okay, so we were, we were on the topic of undressed balls. Okay, so here's what's going on. Uh, in the absence of Mr. Tilney uh, – what uh, Catherine winds up doing is hanging out with Isabella a lot, and they become totally inseparable. Uh, and even in the rain, you know, they go out inside in the sunshine a whole lot. They go around the pump room. They become the mean girls. They start uh, – um, what, what do girls of that age do usually? They Seventeen. Yeah. They watch Buffy. They watch Buffy. They talk on the landline phone. Exactly, when they're uh, – mo- Every once in a while, they'll be talking on the landline phone. Because they're waiting, and they have to get off the phone and um, and get onto AOL.com, and so you have to wait for the dial-up to happen, so you can't actually talk on the phone with your friends while you're waiting for the dial-up, but then you get onto the dial-up, and you can use instant AOL Instant Messenger. We can... We can Remember that? Yeah, and then you get onto AOL Instant Messenger, and by the time you've done that... The the episode of of Buffy will have started again, and so you're not even going to type to your friend. You're going to go right back to the episode, but then you're going to start typing again as soon as the commercial break is on because the computer is in the den and you are watching uh, Channel Eleven upstairs in your room, even and you don't have cable and there is a the the TV screen is scratchy. But you know what, Annie? Sometimes 
sometimes there's no Buffy to be watched, and sometimes uh, your little brother is using the uh, AOL for what he says is the internet for what he says is homework, but he's at you know the little. It's brat, not homework. The little fucking the little b- bastard is actually like using it to play a stupid video game. Minecraft. Or I guess what's a 1990 Minecraft eight version nine Minecraft, Minecraft, Minecraft snood. snood snood you know he's playing snood anyway uh so sometimes it's just a rainy day and you have nothing to do but hang out in your room with your best friend and uh, what are they doing you are um you're reading your wicked books you're so you're reading but are you reading you know, that's really sensible that these young ladies are reading, you know, probably uh, books on philosophy or like informational textbooks, things to really enrich their minds. Maybe the Bible, they're going over their verses. Yeah. Is that what they're reading, Annie? Yeah, no, we're, well, well, you know, just speaking for myself and I speak for all 17 year olds throughout time and space that we were casting spells. Oh, yeah. Witch, to, witchcraft. We were, we were, we were doing, um, we were doing witchcraft. But and, even witchcraft would be, oh, sorry, please. To, um, and you know, make making potions with uh, uh, ground up um, kitchen spices and menstrual blood to um, you know feed on our unsuspecting boyfriends. It's, and they probably had it coming. But I will say that even selling your immortal soul to the devil for uh, for witchery and black magic would be preferable to the vile thing that they were doing in their room together. What is it that they were reading, Annie? Novels. Ah, novels. Novels. God damn these goddamn devil spawn! You useless waste of time. Not but the 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 fripperies of uh, of the feeble minded. If I was outside, let me tell you something. If I was outside reading a novel and someone came up to me and said, "Oh, what are you reading?" I would blush with shame and say, "Oh, it's uh, the newest uh, Bill Bryson. It's not a novel because novels are uh, silly. They're French." They're French. They're French. They're for girls. They're for girls. They're written by a lady. They're written by girls. They're read by girls. And oh, I, I hate them so much. These... I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. Oh, these goddamn novels. I wish to. I want to burn them in a pyre with other novels. So Jane Austen spends the rest half of the chapter talking about how actually novels are perfectly good and sensible. She goes on this big tirade about how uh, she's compl- how presumably she Jane Austen. This is no longer the invisible author voice. You know, we were talking about Roland Barthes earlier. This is not like a, a, a third party, a third, uh, the invisible, the great Lacanian other. This is actually explicitly Jane Austen. Stepping through the the window of time and shouting in our ears, "Hey, novels are really good and smart." Yeah, I, and in fact, she calls them like kind of like the the greatest form of literature oh. in this in this chapter, and she gives this very very full throated defense. It's a nice little window into the past when uh, this is really a lot before you know a novel. Even the word novel means like, oh, it's new. It's like an interesting thing. But I think that at the same time, this prejudice against novels still very much exists and has always existed. Novels do appear to be, I, I, you know what? It's so strange. It is associated with femininity. I was, I remember there was a book club that I did for um, the a library in Southern Brooklyn. And the people who came in and one of the, you know, there was mostly women. There's a couple of men and one of the older men said, well, you know, I usually don't read novels. I really like to learn things instead. Yeah. And obviously that really uh, annoyed the, the, you know, he got into a little tiff with the other women there. But, yep. I mean, it really was just a window into the attitude. Like, oh, this still kind of is around. Like, a novel is a, a, a feminine thing, a silly thing. Yeah, and and I think that I have, 
I have definitely gotten that shit from a lot of men. That, that, really? that about novels like not and and not and and in lots of a lot of different directions exactly. too where uh uh the novel you know i I've, I've heard from friends like oh this is this doesn't teach you anything about life what good is it why are you reading novels that's such a waste of time mm. um or i i've also gotten which is a weird thing to get from a from a from a friend and a comrade you know the novel the novel is the ultimate art form of capitalism that's i would love to hear that I would love to hear the how that's true. Yeah, I mean, the time period coincides, but also it's a novel. You can say the same thing about like uh, you know, steam or uh electricity, like Yeah. Like the time period coincides. Okay, then okay, so maybe the novel, okay, so if we're going to do a Marxist analysis of the timeline of the novel, maybe it's that the novel needs to exist and proliferate so that the the uh that the next new literary form may overthrow it. Presumably one with no main characters. Uh... <laughs> and I think that, like, it's funny, though, because, like, you know, the novel, and I think that, you know, mostly the the novel has been, has coincided very much with, like, women's literacy. <laughs> and and for pretty much the entire time that the novel have has existed, like, there have been men who are trying to uh, overthrow women's uh, primacy in, oh, in, in, in in writing writing novels and um, and sort of uh, being being this, the, the the overwhelming supporter of of modern literature have been have been women overwhelmingly Absolutely. for hundreds of years yes uh, but meanwhile these uh, hoity toity dismissive men who read the the London Journal and the they have their uh, silly hats and their snuff boxes, and they say, uh, uh, what are these fripperies, like uh, uh, the lace and your decolletage and <laughs> a novel, yes. And, you know, even as, as late as, like, a, a writer like Norman Mailer, we get, like, his, I mean, Norman Mailer is the scum of the earth when he writing an article like The Scent of a Woman's Ink. Really? Yeah, and, you know, there's a... There are, Hoo-ah! You know, the scent of a woman! Zinc! <laughs> Yes. Uh, take a flamethrower to Norman Mailer. <laughs> I would like to take a flame th- th- flamethrower to Norman Mailer. Bad and... man. Well, more like a bear bomb. I'm sorry. Please keep going. <laughs> the, the, the stench of a broad. I used to juggle. It's me, Norman Mailer, played by Al Pacino. <laughs> I'm sorry. What, was that? I, I would. I would watch that movie. Oh, but I would I would watch that movie in Scent of a Woman. I'm too old, too fucking blind, Charlie, to if, write this book. If Al Pacino's character in Scent of a Woman could play Norman Mailer, just that, best, that would the be best mashup, fucking. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we were talking about novels and ladies. Uh, uh, yeah, so, like, half of this fucking chapter is Jane Austen making a passionate defense of this silly little frippery called the novel. Uh, I happen to be on Team Austen on this one. I happen to like novels a lot. Uh, but, you know, write us in, chapter by chapter, one at gmail.com, and let us know if you think a novel is a, a feminine waste of time and, uh, uh, something to be dismissed. Right, right, please, all, all, all of you... Twelve, and we assume that everybody listening is in the mayonnaise caucus of DSA and is a, is a big time Bernie bro, um, and that you also uh, have lots of opinions on um, 
the scent of a woman's ink. Yeah, if there's a uh, hua, if there's a thirteen people listening to this right now, I guarantee there's only eleven after this <laughs> fucking episode. <laughs> so all eleven of you, please write in. Uh, did we want to? Is that is that it? For, it's not a long chapter. We managed to squeeze so much uh, bullshit out of this tiny little chapter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we we've we've covered uh, witchcraft and novel writing. Yeah. And the mayonnaise carcass. Wait, who's that? Is there someone at the door? Wait. Oh, who's at the door? It's... Oh, my God, it's Fudge! Fudge! <laughs> Fudge, you're back from the dead! <laughs> you're back from the glue factory! What happened to you? Fudge never went to the glue factory. I found Fudge. He had run away. He had run away from the glue factory. Good God, Fudge, you must be the oldest horse who has ever lived! <laughs> Fudge, did you read the chapter? <laughs> Northanger Abbey. The novel. How do you feel about having been bridled all those years? I see you're not bridled right now. No. <laughs> I hate the bridle. So what? What would you like to contribute to chapter by chapter, Fudge? I'm feeling like this joke is worn out. So goodbye. Right, take care, Fudge. Wow, that was so amazing—a talking horse. A talking, a talking horse, a ghost horse. I totally did peanut butter. <laughs> Fudge! Fudge, you know what? Fudge, he really... We don't boast about these things. <laughs> Absolutely. Fudge, a gentle horse doesn't kiss and tell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But All Fudge right. probably did go around the arm and arm in the pump room with some ladies, lady horses. F- toffee. Exactly. Toffee. Toffee is who she went up and down the pump room with, but, you know, he was hanging out with peanut butter in the lower rooms. Oh, ho, ho. Uh, so what did you think of the chapter? I feel like you have mixed opinions. I ha- I, 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 you know... I love Jane Austen. I like it when she makes mistakes as much as I like it when she's doing being and and I think this chapter she's a virtuoso, and we read a couple of her virtuoso sentences that that won, and we won we read, I think a cha- a sentence a virtuoso sentence that kind of went kathunk, um and I think you know when you soar you're and not kathunk in the good way. You know, when you soar, you're like Icarus flying too close to the sun. Sometimes your your wings catch fire and you and you burn up and you crash to earth and you die. Um, yeah, I like these little uh, clockwork uh, sentences. I think they're fun. Uh, we don't get them a whole lot nowadays. They should come back. I think so. I think that I, I would I would like to see this sort of thing coming back. You do see them in um, clockwork sentences in academia, but they're not beautiful or useful, and in fact, they make you want to die. That's absolutely right. It's so strange you should mention that. I've been trying to, I've been trying to ensmartenify myself. Be smarten. Ensmartenify. Make myself smarter. So one of the things I did is start a uh, uh, Jane Austen podcast with my good friend. But (laughs) another thing I did is I've been trying to read things that are a little more philosophical. Things like, uh, you know, I've obviously been, I've been uh, picking back up my marks because that's sort of in vogue nowadays. Uh, but then also, uh, you know, Marx was a good writer. Marx was a good writer. Lacan, you know, all these different philosophers and, you know, these big guys. And what they do is they absolutely string together their sentences like they're, but you try to get to the end. You try to sort of have to skim it over to the end to see what the fucking point is. Like, why are you going through tackling this idea of yours at this weird off angle? But it isn't to make some kind. So when Jane Austen does it, it's to make some kind of witty point. Yeah, you know. she 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 uses it for its obviously intended purpose—a really punchline. Yeah, it's a, punch a shaggy line. dog story, exactly, and it it tickles you when it happens. Derry da, no punchline. No, and it's you have to get around. God damn, it's so French. I feel like the French do it constantly. 
Yeah, the French do it, the Germans do it, and then Americans like to imitate the French and the Germans because we're insecure. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, it was, uh, you know, it's a good chapter. So the next segment is uh, we're going to rec- do some recommendations. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I have some recommendations. Um, I I got nothing. What do you got? I got, you got nothing. Uh, yes, I do have something. I just finished up. Um, I've been reading a lot of old, uh, old fantasy books, like really old fantasy books. Well, late 1800s, but still like pretty old for fantasy books. Um, so I've been plowing through Lord Dunsany. Ooh. Um, I'm, I just finished his, so his, he's got this very short thing, which is maybe what he's most famous for, which is called the Gods of Pagana. And it's a completely fake cosmology. Uh, and it's written. It's written exquisitely. It's written. Ooh. He absolutely. Bar- he imitates sort of a very biblical tone, but he sort of tackles for what his time very eighteen hundreds era modern philosophical concepts using this very biblical tone. And it's everything is very. Um, it's cool. It makes you feel cool, man. There's just pages about like yeah. So first of all, it's not. He avoids the a lot of the fantasy of that era is pretty racist because even the fake cultures that they make are like clearly influenced by orientalism and chinese stuff but he completely avoids that by making this kind of very old sounding but very pan world uh he just thinks of silly words for his uh for his gods and they're just like they're clearly not based off of any particular culture it's this is just a completely fake cosmology so the main god is mana yud sushai all in capitals, and if he's asleep, and uh, the Scarl the Drummer drums up in the cosmos, and if Scarl the Drummer's hand should ever wane, then uh, Mana Yud Sushai will wake up and annihilate all of us because he's bored with us. That's so like Mana Yud Sushai. It's so like him, but like it's just full of stuff like that. Like, yeah, people also people don't dare pray to Mana Yud Sushai because he might wake up. There's another god who uh, is a nameless thing in the desert somewhere far beyond the wells where anybody can get to him. He's got a big book. Uh, the book's pages are black and white. The, it has all of the world's destiny written on it. The day pages are white. The night pages are black. When he gets to the end, and he's getting pretty close to the end, folks, uh, he's going to run out of words, and then the world's going to end. It's just cool shit. I want to follow that Yeah. by saying I watched Crazy Rich Asians last night. And I enjoyed every minute of it. Really, I uh, I have heard mixed uh, mixed reviews of Crazy Rich Asians. H- have not seen a competently written uh, romantic comedy in many a year, and that was competent, which is about as the best I can really say for for uh, for movies in this in this day and age. I miss a good rom com, you know. Yeah, or, or just a just a just a film that you can watch without feeling like um, you you would you would rather be reading Jane Austen. Uh, okay, here's another one. Here's another wreck, because I feel like mine was a little too highfalutin. Uh, don't listen to the podcast come down, but instead go onto YouTube and look up different, uh, segments of it, so that you can laugh at the individual joke, but don't actually listen to the whole thing. And Unless which... you're high. Oh, if you're high, then... Then it's great, and yeah. I think, I think it's meant to be watched while high. I think that's the point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, anything else? I'm I'm done. I'm good. Anything in the New York area we should be advertising? Like Mayday! Uh, Mayday! Mayday! Columbus Circle! Mayday! 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 Go to Columbus Circle at 530. 530. Party with the unions! Party with the unions. Uh, well, there's going to be like a march? Yep. For what? For Mayday! For, yeah, just labor. It's Mayday. General labor. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we, we march on Trump Tower, but it's Mayday. Come out. Yeah. We're red. Yeah, hell yeah. Uh, okay, that's all I got. Me too. Uh, goodbye!